Superman Forever Radio, Episode 90. than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, people believe tall buildings at a single bound, the incident of ship town is now the man of steel, Superman! Hello and welcome to the Superman Forever radio podcast. My name is Bob Fisher. The Superman Forever radio podcast is a show where I grab an aspect in the great long history of this character known as Superman and talk about it. And it can be anything from the movies to the comics to TV shows, anything about the Man of Steel. And every episode, I'll grab a little hunk of that history and talk about it. And I want to say that if you're a uh, DC fan in particular, but basically a comic book fan in general. We're living in a good time. This is a good age. There are a lot of good comic book based TV shows and movies, and I'm watching a lot of them. In fact, uh, I think all of the DC ones, it's it's a pretty good lineup here. We've got Gotham on Monday night, The Flash on Tuesday night, Arrow on Wednesday night, and Constantine on Friday night. Gee, I think we need something on Thursday night. How about, mm, I don't know, Supergirl? (laughs) Yes, we know now that Supergirl will be on CBS. I think they're trying to, you know, shoot for a September, uh, fall 2015 premiere. That will be interesting to see what they do with that. Please don't mess this one up. But anyway, they've already started casting for Supergirl. What's her name? Melissa Benoist has been cast as Kara from Krypton. And they have a Jimmy Olsen. His name, who is he? Mikad Brooks. Uh, I don't know anything about either one of these two young people. Nothing about them. We'll have to wait and see what's going on with these two people. But I think it's interesting that they are having Jimmy Olsen uh, as kind of a love interest for Kara. And she's a little older. She's not a teenager. She's in her 20s. So uh, we'll see where they take this. this. This could be very interesting. Obviously, it's part of the Superman family, and I have no problem with being, you know, an Elseworld, another take, someone else's take on uh, that universe. And is it part of the MOS universe? I don't know. We don't know. Who knows? Be interesting to see. The uh, producers have said that they think uh, there's a good possibility that there will be some crossover because with Arrow and The Flash, because they are going to be apparently in a shared universe. But... Uh, that would pretty much make us uh, tend to think that, well, uh, that means that Superman from the Man of Steel, Henry Cavill's Man of Steel, will not be part of this universe because they said that uh, when the movie was done that the movie and the TV universes in the DC world would be separate. uh, And So we'll see if they keep it to that. Yeah, I personally think they will. I think that they'll keep the two universes separate. Uh, And again, I don't have any problems with that at all. There will be two different flashes. They've already, I think, told us that uh, when it comes time for the Justice League movie, the guys that are playing Arrow and the Flash on TV will not be part of uh, the Justice League movies. 
So, well, that's fine. That's fine. I have no problem. I can keep them in my head. I can keep that separate. Two different universes. Two takes on the character. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But anyway, that's Supergirl. It's it's a it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Looked like Constantine was on the chopping block, but it might get picked up. Uh, that's still under discussion. I think, as of this recording, it looks like. There, uh, NBC is on the fence about it. And, and to be honest, coming back to that, to, to Kara, to Supergirl, that's what bothers me. That's the part that has me uh, a little more nervous about Supergirl is the fact that it's on a network, that it's CBS. And the, the big three, and in fact the big four, including Fox, usually has a pretty uh, quick trigger finger when it comes to pulling the plug on these guys. I guess that would be bad mixed metaphors there, but I think you get the point. They're usually really quick to pull a plug on a TV show if it doesn't get the kind of numbers they were hoping for or right out of the box. And Constantine is one of those that's kind of, I think, on the fence on that. And uh, even me, you know, the first couple of episodes, I started out thinking, well, eh, you know, it's okay. I like the idea. I like the premise. But there was something about the way it was shot or something that uh, that didn't quite feel right. But as the season has progressed, as it has gone along, I think it's getting really good. I'm really enjoying Constantine. Uh, And plus, it's just such a great premise anyway. You know, good versus evil demons and angels. It's just, you know, magic spells and potions and hobgoblins. It's great. It's great. I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, that. And again, I have no problem with keeping all of these things separate or if they decide to integrate them. So let's let's hope they don't screw up Supergirl and they actually, you know, do something that we can all enjoy and be proud of. It's time for a female lead again. So that's what's a little bit on my mind there as far as TV goes. Uh, what do we got here? Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Kind of quiet, haven't heard much. Uh, they've finished shooting. It's all post now, unless they're doing some other things. Uh, oh, something that was I think was interesting. I was listening to another podcast recently, and actually it was a non-comic book podcast, and Amy Adams was on plugging her current movie, which I have forgotten the name of. Uh, but I thought an interesting thing in that is that she has a scene in her current movie with Terrence Stamp. <laughs> yes, Michael Bailey, it all comes back to Superman. I mean, do I need to tell you what that means? That Terrence, that Amy Adams is doing a scene in a movie with Terrence Stamp? Okay, Lois Lane, Terrence Stamp, General Zod, with the Christopher Reeve number two movie. Kneel before Zod! That was Terrence Stamp, that guy. And she was Lois Lane, you know, Man of Steel. Exactly. (laughs) Love it. Okay, that brings us to comic books. And I'm caught up with Superman and action in the New 52. I'm a little behind in Superman, Wonder Woman, and Justice League. And I'm not reading Supergirl or Superboy. But Action Comics is still doing a great job. I think Greg Pak is doing a good job over there. Um, Comic looks good. It's a good story. 
Not crazy about the Lana Lang, John Henry Irons relationship, but I like both of those characters and I like what he's doing with both of them. He being Greg Pak. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that along that lasts. What what happens there? What else? Well, of course, the big news is still really John Romita Jr. as the main artist of the Superman title. And with issue 38, they gave us a new costume and a surprise ending. A little surprise. And uh, do I spoil here? Have you all read it yet? Are you caught up on Superman yet? Should I tell you? Okay, uh, I'm going to tell you something here. So, you know, if you don't want a spoiler about 38, then, you know, uh, fast forward about two minutes. Uh, Okay, you ready? Give him time. Okay, good. Uh, Superman reveals his secret identity to Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I know. Interesting, huh? And in that scene, we get a whole new costume. Yes, I know. Well, it's not a whole new costume. It's kind of now a redesign of the current New 52 costume. Uh, Better boots, I think. I think overall it is better. Overall. It's more of a turtleneck now instead of a high-collar, Nehru-type collar. Uh, Still no trunks again, of course. Uh, The boots look more traditional with the V-cut in them. Uh, It looks a little more cloth, fewer lines. Cape is off the shoulders more instead of attached to higher. But they really, really, really screw it up with those cuffs. Now, they're either cuffs or fingerless gloves. I've seen both. Yes, that's how long those cuffs are on his hands now. If you haven't seen them, they are as long as fingerless gloves that you can't tell the difference. It's it's just it's just terrible is what it is. It's almost like they say, you know, this isn't a bad design, but let's throw something in that people are really going to bitch about. I mean, it's the gloves or fingerless gloves or whatever they are. Yeah, I kind of really, really, really hate it. But overall, it's not a bad design. Except for those cuffs, give him cuffs that look normal and, and you know, not like some 14-year-old girl trying to hide in the corner. It's just ter- it's just terrible. It's terrible. But I still think the problem... Hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to decide how to word this, actually. Because, again, I don't really want to be negative. And I'm, you know, giving Ramita Jr., J.R. Jr., you know, all the, all the time in the world to, to figure out how to draw Superman's face. Yeah, what does he look like? Now, is it because he just doesn't know, he doesn't get it, or he wants him to look one way and editorial says, no, make him look young, young, young. Because, you know, there's two things going on here where it's starting to really bug me, take me out of the story. I'm getting really, really, really tired of Superman not being the most impressive person in the room. And, you know, even though it's not John Romita in, in Superman Wonder Woman, there was a panel in, I don't know, probably, I think it was number 13 of Superman Wonder Woman, where uh, Superman and Wonder Woman are just looking at each other. And I think, okay, she's an adult. 
She looks like an adult. She looks like she's in charge. He does not. I really am tired of a Superman that, compared to the rest of the Justice League, he's the new kid on the block. I don't know. I don't know. But even in his own book now, uh, in Superman, I'm just having a hard time getting past Ramita Jr.'s lack of facial consistency when it comes to uh, Superman. And actually a lot of the characters. There were several panels where had the red-headed kid not actually said Lois, I would not have known that was Jimmy talking to Lois. It was, you know, a red-headed kid. So you assume if it's a red-headed kid, young man in a Superman comic, it's Jimmy Olsen. So I guess you just have to assume when he's talking to a brunette that that's Lois Lane. But, you know, there's a couple of pretty good action figures out on the market now that look pretty good. Maybe if uh, Mr. Ramita Jr. put one or two of those on his desk or wherever, just keep referencing them, you know. And then when you look at it again and realize that, oh, Superman should have the same nose in panel three that he has in panel two. But anyway, I think you get my point. I don't want to hammer on the man. After all, I'm not an artist, but, you know. I think one of the things that bothers me a little bit about the modern comics is that even throughout the history of Superman, whether it started with, of course, Joe Schuster's rendition of the early Man of Steel, but throughout from that point on, Superman always looked like that guy. He looked like different artists' representations of that guy, but it was that guy. And when you got into the 60s even, and you had, um, uh, uh, it could be four different artists going to you. Kurt Swan, of course, Wayne Boring, Al Plastino, um, Kurt Schaffenberger. All four of those guys that I just mentioned right there have very distinct, Distinct individual looks. You cannot confuse any of those four guys, except Al Plastino, because Al Plastino, almost like his name being Plastic, <laughs> Plastino, uh, kind of in his long history at DC, uh, could look a little bit like any of the other three, and sometimes was actually used as a transition between, say, Joe Schuster to Wayne Boring, or Wayne Boring to Kurt Swan, particularly. Uh, there are scenes where you actually have to look pretty close and go, wait a minute, I thought that was, but it is. Wow, that's, wow, hmm, interesting. And several famous stories were drawn by Al Plastino, and people have thought it was either Wayne Boring or then later Kurt Swan. So, uh, but all of those guys had their distinct individuals, and throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean, throughout the history of this character, Tom Grummet, the face of Tom Grummet Superman looks like his version of Kurt Swan's Superman. Jerry Ordway. I mean, go right down the list. Even John Byrne, for crying out loud. They all looked like Superman. You didn't need to know, well, who's got the Superman costume on to know whether it was Superman or not. And that's one of the problems. That's a small rant, and I don't mean to sound like this bad, but that is kind of pulling me out of the stories here lately. And then we find out that, that Jeff Johns is leaving Superman. 
So he came in. He's going to tell his story. Give Superman a new power. Yes, he's got a new power. It's kind of an old power that they're bringing back, but it wasn't really established earlier as a new power, but it's been used. And so we'll see how that goes. But now Jeff Johns is going to be leaving and we have a different writer coming in. But John Romita Jr. will be staying as the artist on Superman. So, okay, that's enough on him. Thanks. Anyway, Mr. Romita, work on your face. Really, please work on Superman's face. Do you enjoy time travel in general and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon... Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. Want to put a little plug in here for Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. Why, Bob, are you going to plug Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box? Well, because I was on it. You were on it? Well... Yes, but it's still a good show whether I was on it or not. But I was on it. Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. I was on it with Michael. Well, of course, because it's his show and it'd be dumb for me to be on it without him, you know, being there. But uh, I was on it with also with Paul Spataro from Back to the Bins and Andrew Leyland from Hey Kids Comics and Palace of Glittering Delights to True Freaks Network. And we talked about Man of Steel Revisited. Yes, Man of Steel Revisited. I know, but we did. And we did it because uh, it was time. Uh, And the four of us got together and in a civil, friendly, funny, and serious way, talked about that movie scene by scene. And the four of us broke that sucker down, talked about it in a way that is, I think, refreshing. I think it was a good show. And... Uh, I enjoyed being part of it and just wanted to thank them again, Mike, for inviting me to be part of that. And uh, it's always fun getting together with those three guys. That's just a really fun little combination. Uh, One of the fun things about that is that with the four of us, we actually hit four different decades. So that's kind of nice. That's kind of interesting and fun and the perspective that you get from that. So, uh, I know a lot of you or some of you uh, have actually found this show because of that show. But if you haven't heard it, check it out. It's a fun episode. And you should be subscribed to Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box anyway. And the two other shows that I mentioned. Actually, three. 
Paul Spataro's Back to the Bins. Paul's on a few other shows over there now, too. Uh, Listen to the Prophets. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff over on the Two True Freaks Network. And I might as well put another plug in here now for a show that I'm on periodically on the Two True Freaks Network called Long Play. And it's a non-comic book. No funny books. It's a music show. That's right. We take an album uh, and basically talk about it track by track. How does it hold up as an album? Is it just a collection of songs or does it uh, hold up as an album? It doesn't have to be a theme. I mean, not everything can be Sgt. Pepper's, but does the album hold up? And there's a usually two people. Uh, the most recent episode is uh, myself again with Andrew Leyland talking about the debut album from The Sundays called Reading, Writing, and arithmetic, an English pop band, the Sundays. Very interesting. So go over there and check those out. There's only nine or ten of those episodes out, so uh, that's an easy, easy one to catch up on. And it's all about music, and we have a good time putting that one together. Called Long Play, Two True Freaks Network. So I had a birthday in January. Thank you, and. Treated myself to a few things, Superman-related. Got some nice gifts from family and friends, too. But uh, I finally picked up the complete run, complete season of Superman the Animated Series. Yes, I know. I should have had it a long time ago. I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't. And uh, it's funny because when it was on the air originally, either sometime midway through the second season or early in the second season, either the Cartoon Network was uh, switched and was no longer part of our basic cable system, or Kim and I changed the way we do cable, and that may have been the time when we dropped uh, and, and went back to basically local cable with, you know, getting your other TV entertainment other ways, Internet, Netflix, Hulu, et cetera, et cetera, instead of paying, you know, for cable but anyway uh, the way it turns out I had really only seen then the first season and maybe one or two episodes of the second season of Superman the animated series so basically I've been watching a couple of episodes uh, every night that's kind of been the you know uh, wind it down end our day and watching a couple of episodes of Superman the animated series it's really good it, it really is good. I like the way they're handling most of the characters. Um, she's a fun Lois Lane, Dana Delaney. Uh, Jim Daly is, uh, or Tim Daly rather, is a terrific Superman, Clark Kent. It, it's done well. It's really done well. So anyway, nice little, nice little pick up there. And I'm going to, uh, might talk about them in a future episode a little more. Once I do maybe a commentary or something about them. But uh, I have enjoyed it. Superman, the animated series. And, you know, here's something else. This is is the kind of thing, and I don't know how this happens. If if you're a collector of comic books, you know that storing and organizing them and keeping them, I mean, you know, it, it takes up time. It takes up space. It takes room. One of the advantages of digital is it's much easier to organize. But anyway, what brings this little part of it up is that recently I was looking for a particular comic and noticed for some reason that Superman Volume 2 
from about 150 to 219 is missing. Huh? Yes, I know. I don't know how that happened, but for some reason, I have lost, misplaced, sold. Sold? Bob, you sold Superman? No, not intentionally. But I did have a comic purge uh, about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, where uh, seven or eight long boxes of comics were sold. And, I, you know, my mental attitude at the time, let's just say that it, I, I may have uh, put in that box a few comics that should not have been. I'm not saying that's what happened to these. I don't know. All I'm saying is that Superman Volume 2 Issues 150 to 200 are just gone. Gone. The nice thing is uh, most of those should be in the cheapy bins. Should be, you know, less than a dollar each for those. Those should be 50 cent books. So if anybody has them and, you know, I'll give you 50 cents. You know, be glad to. 25 bucks (laughs) for those 50 comics. Incredible, isn't it? How do you lose stuff like that? I guess it's easy when you have thousands of comic books to just lose a handful of them periodically, I guess, is something. But that's just not like me to lose 50 comics, particularly a solid run like that. That's just. (sighs) Gathered together from the far reaches of the Internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring Superman and Batman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast. The DC Comics Presents Show. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. It's Superman. The Schuster Herald Podcast. The Cares Herald Podcast. Superman Forever Radio. Superman Lives. Up, up, and away. Cadmus to Crisis, a Superboy podcast. The Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts. Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Russell Brad, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Bob Fisher, Chris Moe, Mario Benessi, Drew Wintermeyer, David Byer, Matthew Epps, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Okay, as we get into some email, that's one of the beautiful, wonderful, terrific, exciting things that has happened with me doing this show, this podcast. The people that I have met through doing the show or through your emails or through your Facebook communications, it's just been so much fun. And getting the feedback from you guys uh, has been terrific. And one of the things that has come out of that is exactly what I was hoping when I did the shows, uh, particularly the two shows where I pulled um, the name out of a hat. You know, I have pieces of paper. I keep saying out of a hat. It's a little bowl full of little slips of paper. And uh, I will periodically pull uh, one of those slips of paper out and just talk about whatever's on there. 
from my own general knowledge without looking stuff up. Uh, one of the first ones that popped up was Christopher Reeve, and we talked, and I talked about my thoughts and whatever on those first two movies, and it started a nice conversation online. The same thing happened uh, last time I did it when I pulled out a slip of paper and the word kryptonite was on it. At that, for that show, uh, I gave a brief rundown of the six main types of kryptonite. Uh, at that time, five leading into the sixth, which was the story about the sixth called the jeweled kryptonite. Both of those episodes did exactly what I was hoping they would do and got people to send in uh, some email based on those shows and kryptonite and what they were thinking. Just terrific. And one of the things that I mentioned last time on that, off the top of my head type show, uh, was some stuff that was happening online and digital through comiXology. We've already seen the Batman 66 Currently running Wonder Woman 77. Could Superman 55 or 51 or 53 or uh, whatever 50s date they want to put on it, could that be too far behind? And uh, I found an online comic that had been done by a guy and could not remember his name at the time. Because, again, talking off the top of my head. And a couple of people wrote in uh, with their email and, of course, sent me to Randy Garrett. And Randy Garrett is the guy who drew the comic based on the adventures of Superman on a script that that someone had hoped to shoot on a movie. But go to Jim Nolte's website. It's called theadventurecontinues.com. And look at that, and you'll see this wonderful artwork and this great comic written and apparently drawn by Randy Garrett. It's terrific. So thanks, people, for letting me know that that's Randy Garrett's was the artist for that. But again, that kind of thing was perfect. And we'll get into a couple of those emails because some other people brought up the fact when I mentioned Kryptonite that there were a couple of other uh There was one other jewel kryptonite story that took place. And, um, well, let's hear what some of those emails are like. The first one from Mario Benesse, host of Up, Up, and Away, a Superman podcast. Hey, Bob, I just listened to your latest episode, and as usual, it was a treat. Checking my podcasts in ITUNES and seeing a new episode of SFR made my week so much better. Regarding the topic of Kryptonite, I know of two other appearances of Jewel Kryptonite, Bob. Action Comics number 548 and 549 make up a two-part story, in which Zod and company escape from the Phantom Zone by focusing their minds on a wandering piece of Jewel Kryptonite floating around in space. Of course, Superman doesn't stand for this, and what ensues is an entertaining and action-packed adventure. I read it in the Superman, versus Zod trade and it's a very enjoyable story. If you get the chance, check it out. The ending is absolutely fantastic. I get excited just thinking about it. Anyway, thanks again for putting out such a quality show. Sincerely, Mario. Thank you, Mario. What a great piece of email. And I will check out those two issues of Action Comics. Thanks. And the next piece of email is from Dave McElvaney. Greetings, Bob. I recently listened to episode 89, Kryptonite Forevermore, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I well remember the story of Jewel Kryptonite, which you did a good job of covering. You are right that, in those days, Jaxer was clearly the premier Phantom Zone villain, As to the varieties of kryptonite, I remember thinking, as a boy, that Superman always seemed to fear gold kryptonite even more than green K, almost as if becoming an ordinary human would be a worse fate than death. 
I hope that the powers that be will take your idea to heart, and start to publish Superman 55, along the lines of Randy Garrett's work, published on Jim Nolte's The Adventures Continue website. I commented on your Facebook page, with a link to has Superman, and the Secret Planet work. He also has other stories on that same website, which are quite good ones, too. Thanks for your good work. Live long, and prosper. Dave, Hawkar, McIlvenny. <laughs> that is funny, you're right, Dave. Uh, Superman, I think, was more afraid of becoming human and losing his powers than dying from green kryptonite. That's very funny. I <laughs> actually thought of it in those terms uh, like that. Very funny. And thanks, Dave, for uh, posting the Randy Garrett information to my Facebook page. I really appreciate it. Uh, that was funny. And finally, Michael Bradley of the Superman and Batman podcast wrote in. Hey, Bob. I wanted to send some thoughts on episode 89. One, the new method of reading email worked great. Glad you found a way to make it easier for you. Thanks, Michael. But I think Mailbot still needs a little tweaking. Two, I would read a Superman 55 comic. My fear is such an animal would and have much shelf life. One of the things that's helped drive the Batman 66 comic is the iconic nature of the villains and visual look of the show. Unfortunately, as much as I love Adventures of Superman, it has few recurring villains to speak of, and once you strip away the heart and charm every single member of the recurring cast rock with their physical performance, there's not much left that you can't get by reading an average Golden Age Superman story. And I really hope this doesn't sound like me being critical of the show. I love the show. I'm just concerned it wouldn't work as well in a different medium. However, I have the same skepticism about the Wonder Woman show from the 70s, and that is getting a comic. So, we'll see. Interesting. Well, the Wonder Woman comic now has been out uh, for a while, a few weeks now anyway, since uh, since we talked last, Michael. So I don't know if you're reading it. I am reading it and enjoying it. And I think uh, I think they can pull it off. I think they can pull it off. I would love to read a, a, a Superman 55 comic where uh, even similar to what uh, I talked about earlier with the Randy Garrett comic, uh, where you can go to the adventure continues jim holt's site the adventure continues and uh read that comic and and just try to imagine that style in other scenarios i mean even myself i could come up with a lot not necessarily need the recurring characters of the joker and all the batman crew like that i don't think i think that uh, uh the main characters in other situations can work I mean, that was the fun of the TV show anyway, is basically those four or five main characters. Of course, Superman, Lois, Jimmy, Perry White, and Inspector Henderson. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Three, a year or so ago, I found myself in a conversation with the publisher of Blue Water Comics, an independent publisher, who had then recently published a fictional title that was basically Adam West, as a James Bond-type character. He said they were wanting to do a similar thing with George Reeves, but were having trouble tracking down who held his estate now. I don't know, if not knowing that would be a hindrance to DC doing a Superman 55 comic due to likeness issues. 4. I love Kryptonite. A few years back, I spent months and months and months and months researching Kryptonite in all its forms. It was intended to be an epic mega BLOG series. Unfortunately, my research fizzled due to that evil thing called real life, and I never finished it. Maybe I should get back to that. Wait, Michael, you did a blog about Kryptonite? Uh, we need to talk... Yeah, we need to talk. 5. The Legend of Kryptonite being invented to give Bud Collier a vacation complete myth. Mark Wade and Michael J. Haiti, author of Flights of Fantasy, which is an excellent book about the Superman radio show and adventures of Superman both debunked it in separate places. 
6. On the subject of red kryptonite, a fun note, as part of the aforementioned research, I was compiling a list of all the red K transformations I could find. The list had about 100 different items just from pre-crisis comics alone. Yeah. Michael, kryptonite. You, me, we need to talk. <laughs> 7. With your love of all things adventures of Superman, are you aware of Mr. Kryptonite? In the late 50s, when George Reeves made personal appearances at county fairs and such as Superman, there was a wrestler slash actor who was part of the show. His name was Gene Libell, and he portrayed a character named Mr. Kryptonite. He wore a suit that resembled Superman's, except for it was all black with a white belt. On the chest, instead of the S-shield, it had Mr. Kryptonite, in big white letters. I don't recall reading about whether the character had superpowers or Kryptonite energy, or anything. However, as part of the show, the two would fight, so it's possible. Yes, actually that's a wonderful piece of trivia. Uh, about Mr. Kryptonite. Uh, really, 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 really terrific. At one point, and I forgot until I read your email again, and I need to go back and check. At one point, I was going to try to track down uh, some images, a couple of pictures or something of Mr. Kryptonite and George Reeves together. Uh, but I do not know that they exist. You would think they would, but I have not seen one. Uh, but I do have some Facebook contacts now who pretty much know uh, all there is to know about George Reeves uh, and the adventures of Superman. So if there are images of Mr. Kryptonite, pictures of Mr. Kryptonite and George Reeves together, uh, uh, I'd love to see those. And we'll start looking for those and maybe put a link if we find them. Eight. Other than the story you covered, Jewel Kryptonite was used only one other time pre-crisis to allow the Phantom's owners to escape for a two-protection comic story by Carrie Bates in 1983. Thanks for another great episode. I look forward to more. Michael. Great email. Thank you, Michael Bradley, Superman and Batman podcast. Thank you. And thanks to everybody else who either sent email or communicated. I appreciate it. That's the email I've gotten. A few other things. I did get some email from uh, Michael Bailey. Thank you, Michael. Michael made a suggestion that I'm working on. Thank you, Michael. Also, thanks to others that I've been talking to. My pal, Mark Lex. On Facebook, Douglas Meacham, Andy Capellish, a lot of people having some good conversations. So thanks for communicating, and that's the email for today. And if you would like to send me email, Bob at SupermanForever.com. Also on Facebook, the Superman Forever podcast page. Thanks for joining. We've picked up a lot of new members lately, and I do appreciate it. That's a lot of fun to see everybody who has been joining the page, enjoying the exchange there. So thanks again. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang.
Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. Back in December, when I was trying to decide what to do for a Christmas episode, the first comic that came to mind back then was Superman Volume 1, number 166. Well, that's because it's got Superman and his wife and their two sons around a Christmas tree on the cover. But actually, the story uh, inside only has one or two panels of that scene inside. So it's not really a Christmas story at all, actually. (laughs) So I put it aside and uh, started looking for something else to do for a Christmas story. But then I remembered, uh, or not but then, but and then, I remembered um, how I got Superman Volume 1, number 166, and thought, I'll keep that out and save that for uh, the January episode, for a January episode somewhere near my birthday. So that's what I did. So then, though, when I didn't get the episode out in January as I planned, I still decided to keep it in in sequence and go ahead and and talk about uh, Superman number 166. And particularly uh, how I got Superman 166. My birthday's in January. And it seemed like as a kid growing up in the west end of Richmond, Virginia, it seemed like it snowed every January on my birthday. Uh, except, of course, the year I got a sled. But the, the, the winter of 63-64, we got a lot of snow. And that year, near my birthday, uh, it, it, you know, it dropped a ton of snow on us. And basically in those days, actually similar to these days, you get a little snow and the whole city shut down and three inches was enough to, to shut down the city and schools and everything then. Uh, and, and, uh, but this time we got a lot. We got, we got a lot. The kind where your car doesn't go out, trucks don't go, nothing goes. The city is literally shut down for days. So later, later that week, as my birthday approached, it was Wednesday, so that was cool because, you know, snow, school was out. No school on your birthday is always good, snow. And I'm thinking, you know, we can't go shopping, we can't go do anything out, you know. And of course, in 1964, no video games, so if you stayed in, you watched TV, or you basically walked to your friend's house and you built snowmen. You do what you do outside. You sled, you, you did stuff. And we were still outside a lot. But I remember later that day, as um, my mother gave me a a box, and she was apologizing because obviously we hadn't been out in quite a while, hadn't gone to the store in a while. So she was saying, and she was apologizing that she wasn't able to get me whatever it was I was asking for that, that year. I don't actually remember now what it was I wanted, you know, was even asking for for my birthday. Uh, and to be honest, when you have a birthday in January, and as a kid, you know, you kind of get Christmas and January, you know, your birthday a month later, you know, sometimes on the big items, the year of the bike and stuff like that, if you got that at Christmas, you probably got something really small on your birthday. Uh, so whatever it was, I don't remember what I had uh, asked for, for my 12th birthday, but I remember that uh, 
she handed me this box and it had Superman wrapping paper on it. It was wrapped in Superman wrapping paper. And she was apologizing that she hadn't been out to get anything else and handed me the box. Well, I opened the box and in that box were comic books, 20 comic books to be exact. And they were all DC and they covered three or four months worth of issues. There was Action Comics, Superman Comics, Batman, Detective, World's Finest, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, 20 comic books. Now, in, in, in her mind, this was, you know, she was disappointed that here was just a, a box with a couple of dollars worth of funny books in it. And not exactly what she had planned for, I'm sure, for her son's 12th birthday. But to me, we're snowed in. There's no school. I get to choose the meal. I think it was pork chops and a lemon meringue pie homemade. I like pie better than cake and 20 new comic books to read. Are you kidding me? Well, like I say, I don't remember what I'd really asked for, for that particular birthday in January of 1964. But I remember those comics and the mother that made a little boy's 12th birthday very special. Superman number 166, cover dated January 1964, released November 7th, 1963. Cover by Kurt Swan, inked by George Klein. Now this issue, number 166, is what was called a three-part imaginary novel. Because in most of the time in the 60s, at least in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, by the late 60s it starts to change. But at least in the early 60s, each comic, 32-page comic, would have uh, two or three stories in it. We are at a time period where particularly like, for example, in action comics, you might have a 12 or 13-page Superman story and then an 8 to 12-page Supergirl story in the back. But in Superman number 166, as I said from 64, one story takes up the complete book. So minus ads and everything else, it's a 26-page imaginary story in three parts called The Fantastic Story of Superman's Sons. Written by Edmund Hamilton, drawn by Kurt Swan, and inked by George Klein. Part 1, Jor-El 2 and Kal-El 2. The story opens up with Superman getting the word from the doctor that he is now the proud father of twin boys. And of course, Superman is very happy about this. But notices right away in the nursery, Jor-El 2, for example, lifts up his, his crib... And Kal-El, too, is struggling and cannot lift up his. Jor-El, too, a little later, also looks behind a wall and finds the ball they were playing with. So Superman uh, mentions that it looks like Jor-El, too, that Jor-El, too's powers are kicking in and developing quicker than Kal-El, too's powers. Well, as time goes on, it's painfully obvious that really only Jor-El, too, has superpowers. Kal-El, too, like his mother has no superpowers. So 
The rest of part one is watching the boys grow into young teenagers. Very young, maybe 12 or 13. But during that time, we see many things happen that because of his superpowers, Jor-El too has a tremendous advantage over Kal-El too, and it's over the simplest things. At one point, they're playing catch, and Jor-El just fires a rocket right by Kal-El, and also catches it as it zooms by his brother. So he flies and, and, and catches the ball, very ball he threw. Uh, another time, uh, doing like a camping trip thing, Kal-El too is rubbing two sticks together, and you can see the smoke, and it's almost starting to catch fire. And Jor-El too says, why are you doing it that way? And uses his heat vision, of course, to start the fire. Other things like this happen. Mountain climbing, Kal-El falls and gets hurt and says, no, I'm not going to cry in front of my brother. I won't let them know. And he's starting to develop a serious inferiority complex because of his superpowered brother. Superman notices this, of course, and tries to do things about it. And actually has a talk with Jor-El too, and says that, you know, you need to include your brother and stop showing him up and be, you know, more concerned about your non-powered super brother. In the meantime, the mother talks to Kal-El too telling him how important he can have a great life and be a great person all on his own without superpowers like she and mentions a few other people and everybody else on earth that doesn't have superpowers. But needless to say, none of this really makes uh, Kal-El 2 feel any better. At one point, Superman even tries ways to artificially give uh, Kal-El 2 some superpowers, creating a serum that uh, he gives to his non-powered son to drink and it starts to dematerialize him, make him invisible, and has to come up with an antidote quickly, which you know brings him back to normal. Uh, for a short time, uh, Superman wanted to let Kal-El too know what it was like to have superpowers, again trying this thing artificially. Well, Superman scours the universe, as he can do in these days, and finds a planet whose unique combination of double orange and purple suns gives humans superpowers there. So Superman takes his son and says, here, Kal-El 2, you can stay here and use superpowers. And see ya. And Superman flew back to Earth. Yeah, he did. He took his, like, 12-year-old son, dropped him off on a foreign planet, giving him superpowers, and basically let the kid be, you know, that planet superhero running around doing all kinds of super things. But at one point... Kal-El 2 from that planet uses his supervision, combination of telescopic and x-ray visions, to look back at Earth and notices that it's Christmas here on Earth and sees the rest of his family, Superman, his mother, and his brother, Jor-El 2, decorating the Christmas tree and gets very sad and sends message to Superman that I want to come home. So, that didn't work out and just went even further to increase his inferiority complex. At one point, Superman was out patrolling, doing what he does as Superman, but he had left uh, a robot to guard his wife and Kal-El too while he wasn't there. And sure enough, a couple of crooks tried to get in, hurt him, and, and uh, later that night, of course, the robot took care of it and uh, Kal-El couldn't do anything to help his mother against this these invaders these these crooks which again makes him feel bad 
So, uh, and even worse, later that night, Superman and his wife are having this serious conversation about how best to protect and how uh, the non-powered son and Kal-El overhears this. He overhears them talking uh, about their concerns for his safety and decides the best thing he can do, of course, is just run away. Well, Superman tracks him down, brings him back to, brings him back home. And Superman sits the boys down and has a little fatherly heart-to-heart with his sons and says it's time they started to learn a little bit, too, about their heritage, where they're from, and their Kryptonian background, and tells the boys he's going to take them on a little trip, which takes us to part two, the new Nightwing and Flamebird of Kandor. So as we start chapter two, part two, the new Nightwing and Flamebird, as I actually, as I take a look at it again in the comics now, they're looking a little older, closer to the 15, 16 year old uh, range. So just to make that clear, they're starting to look a little older, although they're still wearing uh, short sleeve t-shirt, blue short sleeve t-shirts and red um, shorts, Bermuda shorts. Part two. The new Nightwing and Flamebird, as uh, Superman takes the sons in, uh, to the Fortress of Solitude, where he keeps the bottle city of Kandor. They use the shrinking ray, shrink themselves, and parachute down to the city itself. And uh, they parachute down because the inside, as you know, of Kandor, inside the bottle, it has the same conditions as you would have on the planet Krypton. So Superman and people from Krypton have no superpowers inside the bottled city of Kandor, which is one of the reasons uh, he wants to take the boys there, because neither one of them will have superpowers inside the bottled city of Kandor. So Superman takes them there and leaves them with a friend and goes back to Earth. Once Superman leaves the boys there, they decide to take a little trip around the city and check it out and see what's going on as tourists and just, you know, take in certain things, museums, etc., etc. And not only do they take in some of the museums and stuff and they see the history of some of the great scientists and people in the past of Krypton, including their grandfather, Jor-El. Kryptonians have this thing with statues. They do lots of statues, but... uh, So anyway, not only did the boys do, you know, mental things in museums and things for the brains, they did some athletics, some sporting events. They uh, uh, joined other Kryptonians their age. And even without his powers, just like on Earth, Jor-El 2 excels in athletics, whereas Kal-El 2 does not. So anyway, while uh, Kal-El 2 is is, uh, watching his brother and actually becoming more jealous and envious, uh, of his brother even again without superpowers uh, Jor-El 2 is just you know excelling at pretty much everything he's stronger than average Kryptonians he's faster he plays sports better excels at all of those things so anyway Kal-El 2 starts to look up some other stuff and while he's in a museum looking in, or uh, I'm not sure where I forgot where uh, a masked person breaks in and steals one of the scientific apparatus and gets away. Well, Kal-El 2 tells his brother, Jor-El 2, about what he had seen, and he hears the adults talking, and they're confused, and they don't have any way to handle crime like this, uh, because there's really no crime in Kandor. So the boys decide to put on the costumes once worn by their father and Jimmy Olsen, and Jor-El 2 becomes Nightwing, and Kal-El 2 becomes Flamebird. 
named after two Kryptonian famous birds, Nightwing and Flamebird. So the two of the boys think they're going to solve the, the problem, the crime, as Nightwing and Flamebird. But as they do this, as they try to solve this crime, things go terribly wrong because Kal-El kind of panics. He, he, Kal-El too. He doesn't really handle the situation well at all and has to be saved by his brother. In the meantime, the bad guy gets away. The boys do some research. They figure out where to catch the bad guy. They run into him again, and he uses his uh, 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 ray gun mechanism thing that he's got to actually uh, enlarge the real bird, Flame Bird, and attack Kal-El 2. And Jor-El 2, once again, for the second time, has to save his younger brother, or his, his brother, his twin brother, letting the bad guy get away. And they don't know where the bad guy is, and he got away totally. So the, the two brothers actually take care of rounding up the, the enlarged Nightwing and Flamebird, the actual animals, and get them back to their pens. And they decide now things are messed up. They need to get in touch with Pop to see what's going on. So they leave the bottle city of Kandor to go to the Fortress of Solitude to get in touch with Superman, which brings us to part three. Kal-El-2's mission to Krypton. Somehow, the masked Kryptonian has gotten out of the bottle city of Kandor and is now on Earth and is using his enlarging ray thing to enlarge not only some Earth animals, but other things that now Superman has to deal with. And, of course, the bad guy makes a big threat and says he's going to do all this stuff if they don't give him, you know, ruler of the world or something. Typical bad guy stuff. But, uh, he, so anyway, so these now we've got these super large, super creatures, uh, lizards becoming dragons and little snakes becoming these 100-foot-long, 20-foot-round, uh, huge python snake things terrorizing cities. So Superman and Jor-El too tell his wife and son, stay here, we need to go, boom, they fly off now, go take care of these super-powered guys, leaving uh, his wife home, and of course, Kal-El too, to even feel more helpless than he has already. Kal-El too decides he's not going to sit around and just, you know, take it. He can't do anything. It's his fault, he feels, he needs to make sure now that something that he does saves the day. He's got to do something to help out. What does he do? Well, he goes to the Fortress of Solitude and steals a time bubble. Apparently Superman has a Legion time bubble in the fortress. So Kal-El 2 gets into the time bubble and takes it back, back to Krypton before it exploded. So he goes back in time and actually goes back to Krypton and meets his grandfather, Jor-El. They, uh, he learns a lot of stuff. He uses his science because he's been studying. He helps uh, Jor-El do some very cool stuff. Watches Jor-El use the Phantom Zone projector. And in fact, uses some of the equipment to look into the Phantom Zone and solves the problem of modern day. Masked, uh, the masked Kryptonian from Kandor was actually a Phantom Zone prisoner who had escaped. Once Kal-El 2 knows this, he goes back to modern times, figures it out, catches the guy, the bad guy, who has actually trapped 
Superman and Jor-El 2 with kryptonite. So they're dying of kryptonite poisoning by the time Kal-El 2 gets back. But he figures out who the bad guy is because of what happened on Krypton, saves the day, pulls Superman and his brother away from the kryptonite. And because now he has saved the day and helped everybody, he no longer has an inferiority complex and actually smiles this time now as he watches his brother and Superman doing super things. But he and his brother go off together to do some fun brother stuff. Typical happy, nice uh, Silver Age ending. Uh, Now, I make a little bit of fun there, but it really did wrap up nicely. It felt, you know, considering everything else that had gone on, it felt really, really natural and kind of nice. So there you have it. What I would say about this, of course, is that the Kurt Swan art throughout, again, is incredible. If there's any negative that I could mention about this Kurt Swan art in this particular story is that there were a couple of times where the age of the boys kind of shifted from looking 12-ish to 15 or 16-ish. Because when he's talking to the two boys about going to Kandor, uh, they look kind of, they look a little younger than they do while actually in Kandor. They look about 16. And in fact, when they take out uh, Nightwing's car, Nightwing has like a Batmobile. They were driving it, so... You know, we don't know what the ages are on Krypton to get your license, but you, you see what I'm getting at. The, the, their age looked like it did change a little bit according to, and not in a, like it was a mistake, but almost because that's kind of what we needed it to look like to tell the story at that particular time. But overall, incredible artwork. Other than that, the story holds up. It's three parts. It's a great story. I was involved with the kids entirely. You know, you really, you know, have a have a good idea for what's what's going on in their brains told really well, I think. And, you know, it's interesting, too, that and if you noticed, I mentioned Superman's wife throughout and just said wife or Kal-El to or the boy's mother. That's because every time they show her, she's in the shadows. We never know who, in fact, is the mother of the two boys. And by hairstyle and by the rest of the clothes, we can't tell, is it Lois, is it not? And the fact that Kal-El 2 has brown hair, whereas Jor-El 2 looks like Superboy. I mean, he looks like Superman did when he was a boy. Most, both of them look pretty much like Superman did as a boy, except one of them has brown hair and the other has black hair. Anyway, great story. Enjoyed it. But I always do. I love these imaginary stories. So that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed it. By the way, the fantastic story of Superman's sons has been reprinted several times. Uh, First time it was reprinted was in Superman number 222, which is an annual or an 80-page giant from 1969. Also, DC Comics' Greatest Imaginary Stories from 2005, a trade paperback, and most recently in 2008 or 9 or so, Showcase Volume 4, uh, Superman's Showcase Volume 4. So pick it up. It's a good, good story. Well, that does it for uh, the great birthday episode of 2015. If you'd like to send me some email, I would love to read it. Bob at SupermanForever.com. Like our Facebook page, Superman Podcast page. We've picked up a lot of new people on the Facebook page recently. 
Glad you're here. Thanks a lot. Okay, we'll see you next time. Bye. Superman is based on the original character appearing in Superman Magazine and Action Comics. Superman Copyright, DC Comics. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster.